Hello, and welcome to episode 8 of Around the Jewish World with Tom Price. We're going to look at Lviv this week, and I've been grappling with how to do this, because it's a really important city that most Americans have never even heard of, let alone considered visiting. And one of the questions that's been plaguing me is why? Why haven't Americans learned about this city? It was, at one point, the fourth biggest city in the Austro-Hungarian Empire after Vienna, Budapest, and Prague. At another point, the second biggest city in Poland. And at one point, the capital of the West Ukrainian People's Republic. And yet, it has lots of other distinctions, too. For example, it was the first city in Europe that had street lamps. And at one point, just at the beginning of World War II... It had a population that was more than 50% Jewish. So why don't we know about this? Well, I decided that unlike previous episodes where I started with way remote ancient history, that I would start with the 20th century and talk about why Lviv was so important in the 20th century and then how it got there. And part of what makes that process complicated is... It was at the nexus on the frontier between several great empires, which were almost always at war with each other. Those empires changed over the course of a thousand years, let's say from the year 1000 of the Common Era to the year 2000 of the Common Era. But some of those empires are ones that, again, most Americans at least have never heard of or never thought of as imperial powers like Sweden, which once had a large empire, or the Polish-Lithuanian Commonwealth, which once had a huge empire. Of course, the Tsarist Empire came into play, the Austro-Hungarian Empire came into play, and the Ottoman Empire came into play. But before addressing the conflicts that all these empires had with each other over this one city of Lviv, let me just talk to you briefly about the 20th century in Lviv. So in the very early stages of World War I, actually in September of 1914, when the war first broke out, the Russian army captured Lviv, but it was recaptured by Austro-Hungary less than a year later, in June of 1915. And under Habsburg rule, Lviv became one of the most important cultural centers of both Polish and Ukrainian and Jewish cultures. According to the official census of the Austro-Hungarian Empire in 1910, 51% of the city's population were Roman Catholics, 28% were Jews, and 19% belonged to the Ukrainian Orthodox Church. At the same time, 86% of the city's population used Polish, and 11% used Ukrainian. And that's not to mention the roughly 30% who used Yiddish, at least at home. Lviv was such a major center of Jewish culture, and particularly of the Yiddish language, that it was the home of the world's first Yiddish-language daily newspaper, the Lemberger Togblatt. And in saying that, I'm reminded that during the Austro-Hungarian period, Lviv's official name was Lemberg, and for Jews speaking Yiddish, it was always Lemberg. And it still is on Austrian Airlines tickets and timetables and stuff like that. So it seems to me one of the reasons that we 
at least in the United States, don't know as much as we ought to about Lviv is that its name has changed so many times over the centuries. And we don't necessarily know that Lviv, Lvov, and Lemberg are all the same place. So we underestimate its importance. In terms of place names, let me just quickly note that the town I talked about in the last episode, where my father's parents were born and raised and married, is called Ungvar in Hungarian, but it hasn't been part of Hungary for a hundred years. It was then called eventually Uzhgorod in Russian, and when it became part of a newly independent Ukraine, it became Uzhorod. And that switch between the G and the H is very typical of the difference between Russian and Ukrainian, or at least one difference, and that is that the H's and the G's kind of change places, so that the famous Russian first name Sergei is actually Sergei in Ukrainian. So returning to the 20th century history of Lemberg, Lviv, Lvov, I'll use the words interchangeably from now on. As I mentioned, the city was captured by the Russian army in 1914, retaken by Austro-Hungary in 1915, but the Habsburg Empire collapsed at the end of the war. So the local Ukrainian population proclaimed Lviv as the capital of the West Ukrainian People's Republic on November 1st, 1918. Now, this was a huge problem for the Polish-speaking majority population because suddenly they found themselves living in a new country. It was bad enough to be part of Austro-Hungary, but at least Austro-Hungary included a lot of Poland. Uh, The West Ukrainian People's Republic was a much smaller area, and Ukrainian speakers and Polish speakers were rivals for power. So quite predictably, the Polish majority of Lviv almost immediately started an armed uprising against this newly proclaimed Ukrainian People's Republic. And they quickly took over control of most of the city center. The Ukrainian forces besieging the city were unable to break into those central areas. And eventually, the Inter-Allied Commission in Paris, which was in the throes of negotiating all the various peace treaties that followed World War I, agreed to leave the city under Polish administration until its future was resolved by a post-war treaty or a referendum. So the Polish forces finally reached the city center on November 19th, and by November 22nd, the Ukrainian troops were forced out. When they captured the city, the some, at least, of the Polish soldiers began to loot and burn many of the Ukrainian and Jewish quarters of the city, killing several hundred civilians in what is known as the Lvov Pogrom of 1918. After securing control of Lviv, the Polish authorities shut down all Ukrainian institutions and societies, conducted mass arrests of Ukrainians, forced Ukrainians to work on the Greek Catholic religious holidays, or actually the Orthodox religious holidays, and dismissed most Ukrainian civil servants. Ukrainian members of the city council resigned in protest, and no Ukrainian would sit on the city council until 1927. In the following months, other parts of Galicia, controlled by the government of the West Ukrainian People's Republic, were recaptured by Polish forces, which effectively ended the power of the West Ukrainian government. 
an April 1920 agreement concluded by Poland with Simon Petliura, the exiled leader of the Ukrainian People's Republic, not to be confused with the West Ukrainian People's Republic, met with the fierce opposition of Western Ukrainians. But it recognized Poland's control of the city and of the region surrounding it in exchange for Polish military assistance to Petliura against the Bolsheviks. And all this, of course, was happening against the backdrop of the Russian Revolution, the Bolsheviks versus the Mensheviks, the Reds versus the Whites, etc., etc. During the Polish-Soviet War of 1920, the city was attacked by Ukrainian forces, and Lviv was preparing its own defense, as it always did. The inhabitants raised and fully equipped three regiments of infantry and two regiments of cavalry, but after three days, the assault was halted and the Red Army retreated. This incredibly bloody conflict was ended by a treaty called the Peace of Riga, which determined that Lviv, which was the third largest city in Poland, remained in Poland as the capital of the Lvov province. During the interwar period, Lvov had grown significantly from about 220,000 inhabitants in 1921 to 312,000 a decade later in 1931. And in 1939, on the eve of the war, approximately 320,000 people lived in Lvov, and that number would briefly swell because of Jews fleeing other parts of Poland when the Nazis invaded in 1939. Although the Poles constituted a majority of the population in Lviv, Jews formed more than a quarter of the population. Obviously, the Ukrainian minority was also a large one. And there were many other minorities, including Germans, Armenians, Karaites, Georgians, etc., some of which were not large, but they enriched the multicultural character and the mix that made Lviv such an exciting place. Right after the capital of Warsaw, it was the second most important cultural and academic center of Poland. In the academic year 1937-38, to 38, there were more than 9,000 university students in Lviv attending five different higher education facilities. So in this brutal decade between 1921 and 1931, somehow the Polish government reduced the rights of local Ukrainians, closing down many Ukrainian schools or turning them into bilingual Ukrainian-Polish schools that were in effect Polish. Increasing numbers of Poles settling in Lviv reduced the relative importance of the Ukrainian population in the city from about 20% in 1910 to less than 12% by 1931. Polish government also tried to emphasize the Polishness of the city and in a way that disrespected and irritated, at the very least, many Ukrainian nationalists. By religion, the population of Lviv in 1931 was 50% Roman Catholic, 32% Jewish, 16% Orthodox, but Greek Orthodox, 1% Protestant, and tiny numbers of other denominations. These numbers would change slightly in 1939 because lots of Jewish refugees came from 
Poland into Lviv. And at one point, there were as many as 220,000 Jews living in a city of roughly 320,000. So you can imagine what a strong Jewish presence there was. At that point, there were reportedly 72 different synagogues in Lviv, of which only two remain. And it was clearly a city with a Jewish soul in some sense. So I want to stick to my promise to keep these podcasts to under 20 minutes, and I'm going to wrap this up fairly quickly. I don't want to dwell too much on how the Holocaust affected Lviv, other than to say that there was an almost locally conducted pogrom from late June to late July of 1941, which murdered more than 4,000 Jews. In July of that year, there was a second pogrom, which liquidated another 2,000 Jews. And then the Lviv ghetto was established by the Nazis, and it held more than 120,000 Jews, most of whom were deported to the Belzec extermination camp or killed locally during the following two years. By the time the Soviet forces liberated Lviv in 1944, only somewhere between 200 and 300 Jews remain. One of the most famous sons of Lviv was Simon Wiesenthal, who later became best known as a Nazi hunter. And he was able to survive the war because he was saved by a Ukrainian policeman named Budnar. Lvivians, with their traditional resistance to any authority, hid thousands of Jews, and many of these citizens of Lviv were later recognized as righteous Gentiles by Yad Vashem in Israel. So what about the Jewish community there today? Well, it has grown from that number of two to 300 to approximately 1,200. There is a Chabad presence. There are two functioning synagogues. There are still storefronts which have Yiddish signs on the windows that are faded because they were painted before the war. But you can clearly see traces of the once large and important Jewish community. And more importantly, There are lots of tasteful monuments, memorials, exhibits in local museums. There's a street called the Old Jewish Street. And Lvivians are acutely aware of the gap in the heart of their city, represented by the disappearance of more than 200,000 Jews. When I led a group there about two years ago, we observed a minor Jewish holiday, because one member of the group had to say Kaddish for her father, and another member of the group really wanted to light candles and make the benediction over wine. And we got a space granted very generously by the hotel we were staying in, in the very center of town, on the rooftop, overlooking much of old Lviv. And we held an evening service, and the woman who needed to say Kaddish said Kaddish, and then Almost spontaneously, we burst into singing the song Am Yisrael Chai, which means the people of Israel lives. And we were singing this at the tops of our lungs. There were maybe 15 or 20 people on a rooftop in the center of Lviv, letting Lvivians know that there were still Jews around and that 
some of those Jews at least recognized the importance of Lviv in Jewish history. Now, I mentioned earlier that I wanted to go back into the early history of Lviv and explain how it became such an important place. But our time is almost up, so I will do that in the next episode, along with, as briefly as possible, an explanation of the concept of Kievan Rus, which had its capital in Kiev, which will be the focus of our next episode, the rise of the Tsarist Empire, and eventually how that empire sort of subjugated Ukraine to Russia, and a few other things from the past that are highly relevant, but I think we've covered enough for this episode. So I look forward to speaking with you again soon. Thank you.